Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where we chat with startup founders just like you from all over the globe. Each episode, we bring you practical and actionable tips to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Podbrand Media. As a business owner, new sales leads are essential. At Podbrand Media, we create a branded podcast for you to generate those leads by interviewing your best potential clients as subject matter experts. Not only creating great rapport, but also great content to share in your industry. Affordable and effective. Contact us today at podbrandmedia.com to learn more. This is Kevin Pro with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is Scott McCready. Scott, say hello to our Rising Tide audience. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, Kevin. So I'm already jealous. I'm sitting here looking at the background in that window, and I'm thinking, you know, that, that background looks a little better than the one that's behind me right now. <laughs> but uh, Scott, just share a little bit. Like if you and I met at a networking event, how would you introduce hmm. yourself to me? Sure. I um, engineer by trade. The funny part, um, I, I joke consistently that I'm a sort of classic introverted engineer, came out of university, was building network and then got into security. And uh, the path to, you know, running businesses and, and starting companies started from the fact that in university, they forced us to take speech <laughs> courses. So I went to this old school liberal arts university. And it was mandatory that you took four years of speech. Wow. And that was probably the single most useful thing I got out of four years because it really forced me and put me in a position to get out with customers, uh, be able to talk with other engineering teams. And so that was really the journey was I was an engineer, um, but I kept getting sent to customer meetings to sort of explain Mm -hmm. what we were doing and how we were building out security systems back in the day. And that led into really the MSSP business. So I was with one of the very first MSSPs on the planet back when they were very early. In fact, there was maybe only one or two. Got super lucky, got sent to Asia, lived in Sydney, Australia for four years, built out the APJ. Somebody uh, has to. MSSP business for Symantec. (laughs) I know, as as I joke, uh, the old, uh, for for those of us who are maybe more than 20 years old, the old... uh, with a briar rabbit, don't throw me into the briar patch. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't throw me, to, throw me on right. the Gold Coast of Australia. That's right. It was, I mean, absolutely just a, an amazing place to live for four years. And then came back and ran the global MSSP business out of D.C. Uh, and then went to FireEye Mandiant and helped with their MS, build out their MSSP business. So I've been in the MSSP space you know, most of my career in some form or fashion. It's been, a, it's been a great run. It's been amazing to see how security has transformed over the last 20 years. So for those of our, in our audience that are not in kind of the cybersecurity space, uh, unpack MSSP for us. Sure. So the easiest way to think about MSSP is if you're building on, um, every company has to build out a security program, or mm-hmm. they should. And so there's a set of tools that they have to go you know, find, and they can choose from a variety of vendors. Uh, and then they have a choice to try to run those tools themselves. And then more importantly is those tools generate data that try to let you know if something bad's happening. And so they can either try to analyze that data themselves or they can ship that data off to somebody else to look at it and sort of let them know when something bad's happening. And that is the very traditional legacy managed security services market. Um, Mm -hmm. What we do here is a little bit different. We'll talk about that, but that is a very traditional model. So you, you know, graduated from college, you were great at giving speeches by the time that you got out of there for after four (laughs) years and they, they brought that introverted engineer out of his shell and so, you know, you're kind of stepped into the corporate side of things. You kept getting invited into sales meetings. What was that that moment, that day that that you thought, hmm, I, I can do this on my own? <laughs> there actually, you know, the funny part is there actually were 
two moments that were intertwined that really brought it to light. And the first one was I'd been sent to London to build out their security operations and then also to help with the mega deal that was being worked on. And so I'd go to a lot of the customer meetings and talk about the security components. And then, I mean, I was a young guy. And so oftentimes the sales guys and the salespeople were very senior. This was a mm-hmm. mega deal. I mean, yeah. I think it's going to be a billion dollars over seven wow. years or something. It was huge. And so they're very senior and they take me out for a pint afterwards. And they would start saying things like, you know, I can't wait until this deal closes because I'm going to buy a new house. And in my head, I was like, how do you, how do you close a deal and buy a house? I, I, it, <laughs> I had no idea how commissions worked. And so they were uh, teaching this green engineer how commissions were working. And of course, the commissions number were like four times my salary, four years. So I was like, man, if I work for four years, that will be almost as much as one of their commission checks. So that was like the first like aha moment that um, <laughs> maybe I needed to, uh, if I wanted to move forward, maybe I need to do something different. different. career path here, yeah. And I came back. I came back to headquarters and the word had filtered back from overseas. They said, hey, Scott did an amazing job. Customer loved him. Really great on answering questions with customers. And so my boss came in to me and said, hey, by the way, great job. You know, very complimentary. And uh, I got given a gift certificate to the company store. And the gift certificate didn't actually cover like all the items in the store. So I had to like put my own money on there, like to buy the cup or the shirt or whatever it was. And I remember just thinking like the London-based uh, sales guy is going to make you <laughs> You know, enough money to buy a house. Mm. <clears throat> and I've got to put 10 bucks in to go buy the shirt from the company store. And I remember going, okay, that's, I probably need to make a change to Aha uh, moment. trying to figure out how to <laughs> earn some revenue right. versus being a cost center. Yeah. So, so that day that did you kind of start on the side, like in maybe a non-competing space and, and, you know, to kind of do a side gig as you're working out of your main gig type thing. That's exactly what happened. I got, because of the, the, stuff I was doing with my current company, it was essentially building out the very first sort of security operations. Mm-hmm. So before there were SOCs, everybody had NOCs, uh, network operating centers. And so nobody really knew what to do with all the security data. And so I got a company that was in, in the internet, and this was in early internet days, for internet and a little bit of security. They came and hired me for a sales engineer role. And then from there, I went to one of the, like I said, the very, very first MSSPs where they were like, we need to be an outsourced organization for companies at the time, mostly Fortune 500, for them to take this heavy lift or maybe just a 24 by seven. Maybe mm-hmm. they had people there that were nine to five. But even back then in the early days, you know, people were still trying to build out their security operations. Right. And so it was really a completely different model than where I was working originally, which was a massive outsourcing company that the security was just a small, tiny piece mm-hmm. of the overall you know, outsourcing component. So what was that day that kind of just walked out and said, hey, we're starting it on our own here? And and did you take people with you from your existing, you know, what the company you're working for? So what happened was I kept going to smaller, smaller companies. So I was at a, my very first, you know, my internship was at IBM. Then I went to another big company. I kept going to smaller. Then I went to a pre-IPO company, uh, FireEye and Mandiant. And then, you know, at each step I kept going, it's, it's, enjoyable to go smaller mm. and, and start, you know, from scratch, essentially. Uh, and so that was with Soul Cyber. was having done this now for 20 years at smaller and smaller companies, trying to be more nimble and more impactful. Uh, it was time to say, okay, how do we completely redo the model, right? How right. do we help companies in just a completely different model so that it's, it's security programs are sort of ubiquitous? Because 
candidly, nobody really wants to do them. They're not, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, oh my God, I can't wait to build out a security program. That's, you know, but rare, I'm sure there's some people, but it's, it's not super common. And so they don't get done properly. Right. And so that was really the, the genesis of SoulCyber was saying, hey, we manage security service, this core set of people and intelligence and the ability to find, you know, bad actors. That's there, but there's all these other pieces that nobody really does well when you're a mid-market company. Mm -hmm. How do we make that just, you know, brain dead simple, right? Make it easy, make it financially attractive so that companies can just get this problem off their plate and get back to doing the stuff that they want to do. Right. I mean, it's almost like solving that necessary evil. Like, yeah. you know, you think of accounting departments. <laughs> you know, it's, right, exactly. You know, it, it's, you know, it's funny, a perfect it, example. Kevin, you, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the main points that we make in the conversation is the world has moved forward. Like in my company, I don't have a lawyer. I have three legal companies that I use for different things. And right. then we manage the legal firms. I don't have an HR and payroll department anymore. Mm -hmm. I have myself and somebody else that manages an HR and payroll outsource party. And then you get to security and we have to build it ourselves from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so we keep going to these mid-market companies. And by that, it's like 400 employees, a thousand employees. And we're like, you're outsourced everything and you're managing specialists. You're managing, you know, patent lawyers, you're managing product lawyers, you're managing, you know, outsourced HR. Why are you trying to build a security program? And so that's really, to your point, um, one of the key selling items from our side is saying, it doesn't make sense to do it. It's the way it's always been done. But candidly, it's a really 20 year old model that should be, you know, slipped on his head yeah. and be done in the way that you use all of your other outsourced specialty organizations. Is there is there a bit of a learning curve like when you're dealing with with companies that might need these services? Is there a little bit of a kind of a maybe a learning curve is not the right right description? Is there a little bit of a rub that says, you know what? It's easy to sell me revenue producing activities. It's harder mm -hmm. to to sell me you know things that I just see as almost as necessary evils, like we were talking about with accounting or whatever. So, what are you running into when when you get into these sales calls? It is a that is a really smart question because. It's probably one of the biggest challenges we have in the security space, which is it is really easy to defer the decision. Mm -hmm. Or I don't uh, need you until I really need you. <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. is, is, which is a dumb move. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, I've been doing it for so long that it's so frustrating to sit there, mainly because I've seen um, so many companies breached when we could have stopped it, but they, yep. they were not in a position to make the decision. And then something horrible happens and then they're cleaning it up. And the example I use a lot is when I was a kid, my brother and I were both driving to a restaurant and I valeted my car and it was going to be a $5 tip or something back in the day. And my brother's like, oh, I don't want to spend the money on the, the tip on the valet. And he parked in the wrong spot and he got towed. And the tow, anybody who's been through that experience, it's just miserable. Like it's miserable on, you have to get cash. It's miserable that you have to pay the 300 bucks. It's miserable that you got to drive to some sketchy part of town. And I mean, the whole process is miserable. And that's the way it breaches. Mm. It's not just the money. It's not just the ransomware. It's the entire process is an icky, icky, icky mm -hmm. experience. And we keep telling people, just pay the $5 valet fee. Just yep. pay the $5. That's a great analogy. Go back you know. to your life. That <laughs> is a great don't analogy. To, don't wait to get your car towed and then go through all the rigmarole to get it out and then say, okay, well, maybe going forward, I'll valet it. Right. I mean, I, I have a feeling that that companies, you know, in in 2023, it's it's a lot more of a of an easier it's a, it's an easy conversation that it might not have been in say 2005 or 
you know, 2010 or whatever. At least it's it's more newsworthy, maybe, is a, is a way to put it. It's more newsworthy. I think the problem is a lot of companies don't really know. And, and what we try really hard to do is just explain sort of what's happening in, because mm-hmm. they just get bombarded with, oh, you're going to be breached. Buy my silver bullet. Buy my silver bullet. And so I think what happens is customers are aware and they want to do the right thing. But uh, being able to cut through that noise, uh, because there are no silver bullets, uh, yeah. you know, nobody goes into battle with one bullet. Uh, they go in mm-hmm. with, as you know, what is needed to stop the current situation. And that's the way we view security. That's why we call it a security program versus a security tool. It's a set of tools that are best in class that other people have built that everybody knows. We hang them all together and we make sure that they work really well. And then we have the people in the process and obviously the uh, backend technology. So it's just challenging. That's like, you're right, Kevin. It's just t- challenging to sort of cut through that noise and just mm-hmm. go, hey, we get it. We get there's a lot of noise out there that this one thing may help you. But, you know, and we don't want to disparage that one thing because that's not our job. But it really is a holistic way you sort of need to view it. Um, right. And, and if you do it that way, then there's a really high likelihood that anything bad happens is going to be caught, detected, stopped. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to dive a little deeper into Salt Cyber. I really want to hear the story there. Have you been wanting to start a podcast, but not sure where to start? Well, now you can start a podcast in less than 24 hours. I'm David Ezel, and I'll walk you through all of the things that you need to get started today. Things like how to choose the right microphone, how to edit your audio, and how to find guests and build a pipeline of future guests. This course does a great job of keeping things high level while also diving into the things that keep most people from starting. Even better, if you use the code RISING at checkout, you'll get 20% off your purchase. But that's only if you use the code RISING at checkout. What are you waiting for? Start your podcast today. Tell me a little bit about the company, about how the, you know, the journey of, of founding this company and starting it and what did it look like day one? Sure. The fundamental idea was that uh, we would help all these companies back, you know, in the previous time we were an MSSP and we'd go into a company and they'd be like, Hey, we need an MSSP because we need somebody to look at our stuff. And what they would have, they'd have these massive gaps across their security posture, their security program. Most of very, very few companies, and we target mainly the mid market. So we're not talking about, you know, fortune 500, but even there we saw it. Most companies don't have a program. What they have is a couple tools. Mm. And they've been told that those tools will protect them. But, you know, it's, it's like putting up a piece of fencing, right? And then leaving the gaps on either side, right? The, the animals just come around the other side, yep. right? Eat, eat the lettuce out of your uh, garden. And so what was happening for years is we'd help these companies like, well, you know, you, who's doing your phishing simulations? You got you to, who's doing your security awareness training, right? Like, oh, you know, Scott's doing that. And like, great. And we go talk to Scott. He's like, oh, I, I ran out of time this year and I got yelled at for compliance. So, this year I did it on December 27th and okay. You know, so even when they knew they had to, they'd fall down. Um, there's a term called like concept of operations. Like how do you run a security program? You know, like mm-hmm. this is how you do it. And so there'd be these gaps and what they'd have, is they'd have one or two tools or three tools. And so the founding of soul cyber was really based on this idea that companies really should stop having to worry about building a security program. It's not what they want to do. Even if you have an amazing security person on staff, mm-hmm. yep. usually they're more, they're, they're tasked with like building security into the product itself, not protecting the organization. It's like, how does my SaaS product that we're servicing, you know, Bank of America, how do we keep that secure? Mm-hmm. Or they're called into some sort of compliance thing. And so we're like, why are they, why do they have to work their way through 4,500 vendors, figure out 
the seven that they need that mm-hmm. are going to protect them, then do mm-hmm. beta testing, then test them all, then pay up front for each of them, by the way, yeah. pay up front for each of them, then deploy them, manage them, care and feed them, then take all the data, send that somewhere, have the data tell them if they're breached, and then have enough smarts to figure out, okay, after we're breached, what do we do about it? How do we kick them out? And then how do we stop it from happening? Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yet yep. that is the model. That is the stock standard model in security right now. And so we heard this, you know, pain from so many people that were like, what if we built that for you? Um, and we, we set it up so you pay per user per month. So there's no upfront fees. Mm-hmm. These tools are not like Scott McCready's back of the pocket endpoint product. These are right. world-class stuff that Fortune 500 companies use. Um, but we string it all together. So that it all hangs together. The fencing all sits next. But there's not extra stuff. We call mm-hmm. it minimum, minimum effective dose. And then we just sell it to you and we deploy it to you and you're up and running and then you're from seven to 30 days, all the different pieces. And that model, customers love it. So we have people that either don't have anything and they're like, thank goodness, so glad we found you. They're our buyers. Or we have people that have built most of it or some of it and they're just like, it's a nightmare trying to keep this thing up and running. It's like trying to keep the machine turning over and you're always constantly having right. to fiddle with it. And again, you know, if you're Goldman Sachs, you got the people, the time, the energy to, to do that. Uh, and they love us because they get to consolidate everything into a single into a single vendor. Yeah. And that's really that's really the idea is to take that pain away. Um, and if you do it well, what happens is there's all these second and third value ads that start getting added on. So if you can imagine that we and we call it foundational coverage is what we call our, our core product and service. And, and that gets you everything from all your tooling, your deployment but also get you all your response. We kick the bad guys out. We actually do the work to make sure you're protected. We do the, do the forensics, we do the hunting. So we do all that. But because of the comprehensiveness of it, cyber insurance is super fascinated by what we do. So we're the only company in America right now that if you use our foundational coverage, you can immediately go to, you can have your broker, not our broker, go to, go to one of the underwriters and say, we're a foundational coverage customer from Soul Cyber. 35, 35, 30 to 40% discount, usually running around 35, expedited application. So what we found was that if you really do an amazing job at a security program and you mm-hmm. make it easy to buy, really cost effective, you can then start solving other problems like, hey, let's make cyber insurance super easy to get. And so now imagine you're a CIO or a CISO or a CFO and you're like, I've got 500 employees and I can pay up front for seven different things and go try to find a provider or something or something. And then I got to go get my cyber insurance. None of it's hung together. Or I can get it all hung together with a security program, tie that into my cyber insurance, mm-hmm. immediately get a, a comprehensive policy and um, get it at a discount. And so that's really what we're trying to do. And we just had literally had a customer the other day. It's like, Scott, you solved two of my biggest challenges like in days that were going to take me you know, a year or two to solve. Yeah. So that's Especially really internally, the, if you're trying to yeah, build right. your own solution. And it's not just the build, it's the maintenance. You know, it's like, it's like building an internal app, you know, instead of using something off the shelf, it's a continual battle to try to keep it up to date and, you know, compliant, but um, it is, it's an interesting, the way you described the company, it sounds, it's, it's almost like it's a, it's an aggregator more than a, than a developer. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah, we have the, we do a lot of IP, but the IP is on integrations and on presentation. Okay. So the, back in the day, Maybe we would have been like, we're going to build our own endpoint. But the endpoints are so good these days. Sentinel-1, CrowdStrike, these are amazing products. And so we say, okay, they're great. Now, how do we make sure that that talks to a set of data coming out of like some interesting behavioral analysis out of email, right? Mm-hmm. How, you know, somebody's got Scott McCray's username and password and they're sending emails out as me. How do I tell that that's 
not really Scott sending emails yeah. or one digits off inside of the uh, wire transfer number for the account number. Like we need to find that. Now, how do we tie that into email? Now Scott's doing that from Canada at three in the morning. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's going into files that he's never gone into in his life. And he's starting to like, you know, port scan around the, the corporate network. He's not, he doesn't know how to port scan, right? He's a CEO. He's an idiot. Right. <laughs> okay. You want to tie all that together. And so you can come back to the customer and say, by the way, there's a 99% chance that Scott's breached. Nothing malicious has been dropped. So the endpoint hasn't even fired yet, but we are 99% certain this is how we're going to validate it. This is how we stop it. Mm -hmm. And then before anything ransom can be ransom, we already have the bad actors out. Yeah. The wire transfers were made. The legitimate credentials that they've been using to get in are now all changed. MFA has been reset. Um, and that's how you really try to stay ahead of this problem. Right. And that, that I mean, that that's something that, you know, let the experts be the experts, you know, let, let yeah. you do what you do best and, you know, let the companies do what they do best and instead of yeah. just trying to be jack of all trades. But I'm curious about just more more generically about just your mm -hmm. journey of moving from, you know, employee to employer. You know, that's a that's gonna be a very hard transition for so and you know, there are some people that just don't make that make that very well. But do you believe I was, um Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I just want to ask you about the kind of the genetic disposition. I mean, was there a point in time where you became unemployable? I guess it's a, it's a <laughs> weird, weird way to put that. Um, I think somebody, uh, you know, the whole classic, like, is there a, a gene inside of the gene, entrepreneur, yeah. right? Is there mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial gene? I would say for me, I actually never viewed myself as a, I was not the typical uh, super type a loud boisterous you know come in and dominate the room so i never you just really wanted to buy a much... house in england <laughs> that's right that's, 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 that's a much simpler man I, so I was always like that's not me so my leader i mean but people really liked working for me because i'm very clear i, I try to be uh, very fair and have a good time but also be you know do a good job with the customers and so what happened was i kept moving up very mm -hmm. quickly inside organizations and then in my head, I was like, oh, it's sort of strange I'm in this role, but I'm just going to give him my best shot. I think the big one, though, is I was never particularly – I was always willing to take risks. Mm -hmm. So I was yeah. willing to move if I saw something. I was willing to say, I can do that even if I um, – if I was like, I'm going to have to work my rear off. I'm going to have to study and read books. I was always willing to take that risk. I was put myself into situations that you're like, man, if, this, if I blow this thing up in six months, I'm fired, and then that's going to look terrible. But you know, I, I, when I got sent to Sydney, I'd never built – socks before in that way where i actually had i built socks in sydney sydney uh, tokyo um, and other places and so you just have to you know read study so mm -hmm. i guess through that i kept getting put into roles and eventually i became a general manager and so i was essentially a ceo inside of a yeah. inside of a large company which is really a great way to cut cut your teeth because mm -hmm. you sort of have all the ceo responsibilities without the without some of the key aspects of like running your you had to run your pnl but as far mm -hmm. as like you know, um, messaging and all these other things. And so that really allowed me to go, okay, I think I can do this. This makes sense. And then you say, okay, well, can I do it on a small scale and scale it? Right. That's really the key piece. Right. And that, I don't think you ever know. You just sort of say, we're going to, we're going to give it a 110% chance and, and hire smart people. My, the people that work for me are just brilliant and they're not just brilliant. Technically, they're just brilliant about like really trying to solve the customer problem. Right. And that, and, and that really makes a difference and the customers can tell. And we're not just going, here's a piece of tech, here's a piece of tech, here's a piece of tech. We're really mm -hmm. trying to say, hey, we're really trying to make your life easier for yeah. you. If you really believe it, then the customers can feel it. And if the customers feel it, then you've got a good chance of seeing if there's a fit. Mm -hmm. right? 
that I, I mean, I love the way you kind of unpacked that, that journey where it was like, you know, I just kept growing into, I actually stepped into roles and grew into them, you know, almost. Yeah. And then at some point in time, you're thinking, you know, Hey, actually I'm, I'm ready to kind of take that next step. And yep. uh, the biggest difference is I got to figure out how to make payroll. <laughs> I didn't that's have right. to worry. That's about exactly it. So the, and that's one of the, the stuff uh, that, you know, the Elon Musk story was like, I, I was looking at SpaceX and Tesla, not sure how to make payroll on either of them. My, my problem is much smaller, but you definitely think about it. It's this, yeah, it's just different scale, different scale. Yeah. Well, you've done this for a number of years. So tell me, just if you're speaking to our audience, you know, that are thinking about starting something and sitting in a cube, dreaming about starting something, you know, what are one or two just really key lessons that, you know, pretty generic lessons, but just, you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, but that you would you find very valuable that you wish you would maybe would have known when you started that now you know that are just foundational principles. I think there's a couple things. The first one is it sounds so trite, but I've seen so many companies fail, and I've had so many friends that have failed. Which is, um, people say stuff, mm-hmm. and there's a massive difference between what they say and what they'll buy. So mm-hmm. when you want to step out and um, start your own company you really have to be maniacally focused on building something that companies will spend money on. Because a lot of people are like, oh, that's a great idea. That sounds super cool. And then when push comes to shove, well, they actually cut you a check for it, right? That's when you know, because it's easy to say, ah, oh, great idea, Kevin, love that idea. Because they don't want to disappoint you. you know, they're your friend, they're your buddy. So I think the first thing, and I've seen a lot of companies fail because they came up with a really cool piece of technology and a cool technological idea. But at the end of the day, nobody was willing to pay for it. That's the first thing. The second thing I'd say is, is it's a philosophical concept I have, which is called um, a way of thinking gets a consistent set of results over time. And what that means is as a leader, you really have to be consistent in your day-to-day execution and the way you think about it. Because if you are constantly sort of juggling different kinds of priorities and moralities around in your head, mm. what happens is, is you're like, um, well, we're never going to discount. And then a deal comes along. You're like, okay, we're going to get 50% away. But what happens is, is, is everybody starts losing focus and nobody knows where the guide rails are. And mm-hmm. what happens you lose speed, time to value uh, and clarity. And those are death. And so you really have to be clear about why you do what you do, because then you can articulate that to the team. And then the team makes a thousand decisions that you have no idea they're making those decisions in yep. alignment with those yep. things. I think it's really, really powerful. And I think that leads to the third thing which early in my career, I had massive debates with some of my bosses around, do you hire for current talent or do you hire for people that are good people that have either some of the talent or can grow into it? Mm. And I kept saying, hire good people because we can train them. I can't train a bad person how to be a good person. Our entire lives from the time we're in kindergarten are, here's a test on how well you know something. And if you don't get to a certain grade, we are very conditioned to say, hey, you need to be better. Uh, you, mm-hmm. need to be, you need to know this stuff 90% or 95%. And nobody has a moral problem with that. But if I start saying, I really need you to be nicer on the phone, right. Right? I need you to be more personable, that is a big time challenge. Mm-hmm. That's, and so I would tell any founders, you have to have people that can do the work and do the work really, really well. But you really want to build a team around people that are just good people because it just solves a bunch of other problems yeah. that can really make life difficult. Yeah. Those are, I mean, it's such three foundational principles, you know, that mm-hmm. I really like that you were talking about the very first one about, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, build something people will pay for, not just tell yeah. you they like, you know, because <laughs> exactly. that's a, that, that could be a big gulf, 
you know, between those two things. I mean, people tell you all day long, this is a great idea. You should go for it. Yep. But are you willing yep. to put the money down and write that check for it? And, That's right. But yeah, and then just consistent, being consistent, you know, consistent thinking, consistent uh, parameters lead to consistent yep. results. And it's, That's right. I was on another interview with another founder recently, and and he talked about this whole idea of how he had really honed in on productizing his service offering. And it sounded mm -hmm. very, very similar that, I mean, you guys could just been, you know, separated at birth the way you talked about this, <laughs> because you were, he was like, you know, we, we have framed it so consistently that, I mean, it's just, it, we could recite it in our sleep, you know, mm -hmm. just the, mm -hmm. the foundational principles and who we are and what the product is, what it's not, you know, is yep. there, we're just as clear about what it's not as we are about what That's it right. is. So, that's um, right. I, I really like the the things that you mentioned, just hiring for potential. I mean, what a yep. what a way to to look at because it's not a static world; it's a dynamic world we live in. And right. even what you're hiring for is probably going to change, you know, that's uh, right. within a very short period of time, anyway. But uh, and that's as, especially in startups because you have to. No, oh, for sure, for sure. Man, I could sit here and just continue to uh, ping you with questions, but you've got, actually got a company to run. But what's just one thing we haven't talked about that you would like to just close us out with that you think would be really helpful to our audience? And then tell them, where, where can they learn more about your company? Yeah, so I think the, the thing I would tell people from on the founder side is, or even just moving their way up a company. A lot of people are like, man, I don't know if I want the responsibility of being a leader, mm -hmm. their own company or other. And I tell everybody, you're still going to do the work. If you're working eight hours a day, you're still going to be working eight hours a day. If you're working 10 or 12, I mean, as an IC, I was working a lot. And so just think of it as the fun you can have with a bunch of amazing people that you mm -hmm. get to work with and collaborate with in order to build something amazing. And sort of, you know, the hours that you spend or all this other stuff, you know, you can put that a little bit to the back burner because we need good leaders and yep. they're hard to find. And a lot of people I think would be, but they're, they're a little bit nervous about the, the demand. So. Uh, I tell everybody, I, don't be afraid to, to to try it, especially if you got good capabilities. Don't be afraid to learn. Um, and then with Soul Cyber, you know, to your audiences, if anybody's out there like, hey, we've got security or we think we got it covered, we've been doing this a long time. We're not a pushy sales organization. Have a conversation with us. We'll be really clear about what we do. We can probably do it for you in a way that really makes you sleep at night. We ask this this question of customers all the time: If you are safe today but breach tomorrow, what's your confidence level that you would know? And you know what? Most customers are like, man, I think I have really good stuff, but you are right. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Now, like, why don't you take that uncertainty away and do it in a way that's probably cheaper than your, and less expensive than what you're spending your time on yep. right now and, and go have fun and do other things that move the organization forward. And so that's why I'd say from a, from a personal side on the soul cyber side, you can find us at soulcyber.com. Uh, we try to be really approachable, really transparent. Our whole idea is to make security modern and easy for people. So pricing's out there. We, we don't hide it. Um, there's discounts, obviously, if you're larger customers. Um, the tools that we use are best in class, stuff that everybody knows. So we'd, uh, we'd love to talk with anybody that has a question. Well, Scott, man, it's been, a, it's been great just connecting with you and just hearing your story and, and just your insights. I mean, I can tell that they're well thought out and that, you know, they're, they're lived experiences that, you know, maybe you have some, even some of the battle scars to kind of yeah. kind of prove those that, you know, how. how I've definitely made a plenty of bad decisions. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Sometimes those are the best things. That's right. That we yep. learn the most from the things we did wrong, sure. but. Uh, and just thanks again for just taking time today and really just sharing your story and just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Scott, have a great evening. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 
We hope you heard some great takeaways. Make sure you follow up with our guests today and show them the support they deserve. As always, thank you for listening and playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.